Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host today, Steve House, and with me are two fine gentlemen. I'd like to introduce our very own coach and uh, climber, John Free. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great. And Aaron Mulkey joining us from the South Fork of the Shoshone River in Wyoming. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. Happy to be on. Great. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. And the, the topic of, of this uh, discussion today is actually your kind of backyard, Aaron. Um, why don't you kind of set the scene for us and, and tell us what is up there in in the South Fork and you know you're in Wyoming and it's obviously a, an ice climbing mecca. And then uh, John, we can fill in where uh, why this why this place is so important to us as climbers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Cody basically sits uh, just outside of Yellowstone uh, National Park, and the valley itself sits about 30 miles outside of Cody. It is home to highest concentration of ice in uh, the continental U.S., I would say, although I think JoJo would probably disagree with that, but that's all right. Uh, my new guidebook will be coming out. We'll prove him wrong. But anyways, uh, it is home to really some of the bigger ice routes in the continental U.S., uh, and, a, and a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's a, it's a great testing ground for anybody that's planning to go to the big mountains or just planning to be, you know, I guess, you know, extremely successful in their own mountain ranges as well. Uh, it just kind of has the perfect climate uh, for waterfall ice, but also has low snow. So we don't have the, you know, the big avalanche concerns that Canada does and things like that. So it does seem like a lot more people are starting to come to Cody that used to go to Canada. It's usually warmer. You don't have to deal with the significant avalanche potential. Uh, the routes are just as big. Um, you still get that, you know, a, a big aerobic day out there. Um, and there's just so many big routes to choose from that uh, it's become home for me for the last 20 plus years. Yeah, it's an amazing place. The first time I climbed there was, I think, December 1994, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was uh, really eye-opening. I'd never been to – I'd been to the Canadian Rockies, but I'd never seen anything. And I'd been to – I climbed. I had climbed at that point in Hyalite, and I'd done some waterfall climbing in the Alps, but I'd never seen that kind of concentration of climbing in it. At that point, a lot of the a lot of the gullies, a lot of the ice we looked at was was still unclimbed. So it was this real amazing. It was like I can distinctly remember the feeling of driving up there the first time and like looking around with this with the binoculars and just going, "Oh my god, this place is amazing. <laughs> we have hit the jackpot." And uh, it is an, an incredible place. Uh, John, when were you there first? I was actually uh, digging through my emails 
And it's actually 10 years ago, almost to the month that I drug out there because uh, Aaron, which anyone who knows him or follows him on his various social media platforms will know that he loves to rub it in everyone else's face when he climbs ice at the start of every year. It's usually September. And uh, he, I believe it was uh, September 2010 where he had posted some photos of uh, the stuff at Carter Mountain, which is, it's in the South Fork officially, but it's not uh, back where the majority of the climbs are. And uh, being a aspiring ice fiend at the time, I was like, what is this? And zipped out there and um, have made many, many trips back um, uh, for kind of, I think the reasons that Aaron has talked about, like it's, you know, it's, it's hard climbing, it's, it's hard approaches, they're big routes. And uh, for the aspiring alpine climber, I can't think of a better training ground, um, definitely in the, in the States. Agreed. Aaron, why don't you fill us in on a little bit of logistics? Like how do people get to Cody? Um, where do they stay? How do you, how do you go climbing? How do you go about getting there and climbing there? Let, let yeah. us, let us, give us the basics. So there is a uh, airport here in Cody. Uh, there's direct flights every day from Denver. Um, and then uh, you can also fly into Billings, which is 100 miles away. It's a little bigger airport. There's definitely uh, more options for flying in and flying out. Uh, basically, in the winter, there's two flights in a day and two flights out a day. And those both go to Denver. Um, Seven-hour drive from Denver, about six, seven hours from Salt Lake City. So, you know, if you want to go to a bigger hub, you could do that. Three hours from Bozeman. Uh, so lots of ways to get here. Uh, once you get here, uh, lots of hotels. You know, we are a big, big uh, tourist destination in the summertime. So actually about probably half of the hotels are closed in the winter. But uh, plenty of hotel options. Um, you can also stay in the South Fork if you prefer not to do the 30-mile drive back and forth. There is one place up there. Uh, that you can stay and it's got some basics up there. It's called uh, the DDX Ranch, Double Diamond X Ranch. But then there's plenty of places in town uh, from your cheaper hotels, the Big Bear Motel, to the nicer hotels, which would be, you know, even a nicer hotel in town right now. In the winter, it's probably only 100 bucks a night or something like that. Uh, but there are lots of options to stay. I think some people also do like an Airbnb. Uh, but the, the days of about 10 years ago, I used to probably have climbers in and out of my house all winter long but the wife uh my wife has put the uh, kibosh to that so <laughs> you mean i can't message you aaron being a fan on social media or listening to this podcast and say hey aaron can i just park my van in your driveway that's <laughs> yeah not, that's no not not a thing anymore all you know right. and back then um you know i i didn't have partners so when you know somebody like john reached out to me i was just like yeah come to town because I just didn't have people that were as motivated um, and really there's very few climbers in town. So my partners were people contacting me and I'd be like, yeah, why don't you stay at my house if I can go climbing with you? Uh, and that was how I had partners. So, I mean, there's, I can think of a whole lot of other stories that go along with that, both good and bad. Uh, but that was really how I was able to climb as much as I was climbing. It was by connecting with people out of town. Cause there just wasn't anybody here that wanted to go climb that much. Yeah, I uh, I spent uh, New Year's Eve, January, uh, December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, 
at uh, I don't know one of the one of the chain hotels because the they were running a special for nineteen ninety nine a night. <laughs> and Doug Chabot and I split a room, <laughs> and uh, I remember on New Year's Day we were up at like four in the morning because uh, we were we were not because we had partied but because we'd gone to bed at eight. <laughs> we were up at four because we needed to be climbing or leaving the you know starting to walk by five uh, well. to do a big a big long day. So yeah, lots of great uh, options there. I'll see if I can dig up. I've got a photo of myself and Alex Lowe brewing espresso at the Big Bear Hotel, probably 1996-ish or something. Um, so yeah, I, I can uh, attest that. I mean, w- one thing with ice climbing people need to realize is, you know, it's really tough. Van life is tough in the winter in, in the South Fork. I mean, you know, I'll, I've been a truck camper fan guy for most of my life. I mean, you need you need a place to dry out. Boots, ropes, gloves get wet when you go ice climbing. Same thing in the Canadian Rockies or any of these destination ice climbing places. You kind of need central heating to uh, to manage your your gear uh, and drying everything out in between in between climbing days. And you also, because these are physical days, you you, you can't necessarily climb every day for a week in a row. You climb a couple of days, and you actually need a day off. You just need to um, do something else. So I, I recommend that the People stay in the hotels and eat out at the eat out at the uh, restaurants and support the local economy for for a lot of a lot of good reasons. It's it's good for us ice climbers to keep a good relationship with these uh, these communities and let them know why we're coming in there. Yeah, I, I agree, Steve. I think a lot of people uh, try to do the campground thing, um, you know, stay in their van. But the South Fork is t- typically it's kind of a wetter destination for ice climbing because it is at yeah. you know sixty eight hundred feet. And it really thrives on that freeze thaw that people's ropes are wet or, you know, you're crossing the river or whatever it might be. Um, it is a much wetter destination for ice climbing than most places. So if you're driving out to Cody from wherever you are, or you fly in and then get a car, whatever you do, um, walk us through a day of ice climbing in Cody. Like what, what's the first, what's the first objective hazard you have to manage? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The first objective hazard would be driving in and not hitting a a deer. Uh, That is the gauntlet of the South Fork Valley is not hitting deer. Um, It is huge wintering area. So, you know, it's pretty typical to see a couple hundred deer on your drive in. Yeah, it's an incredible wildlife area, not just for the, the deer all down low, right, right along the road, like you said. But, I mean, even when you're climbing, I've, I've seen lots of, you know, lots of incredible wildlife up there. Yeah, the sheep are incredible. I mean, it's not uh, crazy to think that you're, you might find, a, you know, an elk shed or, or walk up on a big ram that's only 10 feet away from you or whatever. Uh, it's definitely the the sheep. It's 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 their playground up there, and they kind of know it. They they are not too scared of people. Yeah, yeah, cool. So then you get walk us through the day. Like what when do you typically start? How far is it? Uh, what do you you know? Give us some logistics background. Here. Yeah, I think for most people, you know, you're going to drive into the valley, and you're going to see a whole lot of ice, and you're going to try to wonder where do I go from here. Um, and I think that uh, I tell people to kind of start off small, kind of go for that that known objective that you can see. You kind of you know have a good idea what the approach is like. Um, for me, you know, I, I I know my way around so well that I don't have to probably get up as early as most people do. Uh, but I tell people to pretty much you know be up there as you know as the sun's coming up. If you're planning on having a big day, you better be up there by the sun's coming up. 
um, and starting your approach in. Uh, when you, you know, you're typically climbing in the South Fork, you're going to probably do anywhere between two and 4,000 feet of elevation gain in a day, depending on where you're going. Now, there are obviously places that you don't have as big of a day, but if you're looking for a full day, you can climb anywhere between six, eight, nine, ten pitches in a day and, you know, hiking in between those pitches. And next thing you know, you've done, you know, 3,000, 4,000 feet of elevation gain. And the next thing you know, you're at the top of that climb and it's dark. <laughs> so, um, you know, being able to move fast uh, and efficiently in that terrain is why it has become really a, a great training uh, playground for alpinists. What about, uh, I know we, we mentioned uh, animals on the drive-in and not ending your day there when your radiator is split open. Uh, what are some of the other objective hazards you got to maybe think about either the night before or the day of when you're selecting a route, like how is avalanche a concern in Cody or uh, any other things people need to be aware of climbing there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are avalanche issues that do can occur. It's, it's very uh, unlikely that there'll be major avalanche um, considerations that you have to take a look at, but it does happen. And when it, when it does, there are definitely probably a handful of, of routes that you kind of really want to take a look at to make sure that they're good, which is like high on Boulder, main vein, moonrise, um, sticky or yeah, sticky plum juice, um, uh, smooth and roll milkshake. Like there are a handful of climbs that have pretty major avalanche concerns. The, the, the issue is that most people don't think about it, right? Cause it's that, Massive snowballs, 4,000, 5,000 feet over your head. You can't really see it. Uh, but there are some concerns to be taken into consideration there. But, again, it, it is rare, and I usually do post something on the Cold Fear site, you know, that, hey, everybody heads up. Avi is, is an issue right now. Um, after we get big dumps, for sure, if you show up in the valley and there's a foot to two feet of snow on the ground, you probably want to really think about where you're going to go uh, because that terrain is very steep. And when avalanche uh, concerns are high, it's, it's very heads up. Uh, a lot of climbs become major avalanche concern. But again, I have, I've only seen that maybe two or three times in the last four or five years. Because it is pretty much, it's high desert. You know, you're, you're hiking through sagebrush and cactus as you're going to these ice climbs. Um, and then once you ascend, you start to get into more of that avalanche terrain. Yeah, and that's definitely my recollection is um, always starting from the car in boots on dry ground, you know, walking through, you know, like you said, sagebrush, and it's almost a little surreal uh, <laughs> because uh, I'm, you know, dressed for winter climbing. I'm going winter climbing, but I'm not in the snow, really. Uh, I've never brought skis to Cody, for example. I don't think anybody does approaches with skis there ever. So it's, it's pretty, yeah. pretty minimal. I should uh, say that there's a couple of great resources I didn't mention yet. One, of course, is coldfear.com, which is the, the site that Aaron maintains. He's got a conditions report on there. And then if you are looking for a guidebook right now, the only guidebook available until Aaron, uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, publishes his guidebook someday, is the guidebook called Winter Dance, which is available from the author Joe Josephson at his website, joejosephson.com. And I'll add these links in the show notes as well. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, walk us through like, what's a typical, you know, like you say, get up at dawn, you've thought about avalanche hazard, 98% of the time, there probably is none uh, or none that you have to really worry about. 
Um, so, so then you're, uh, you're heading up to the root, walking up through the sagebrush and, and cactus, as you say. Um, and how does, how does a typical day unfold? What are you, what are you climbing? What do you need for rack-wise, rope-wise, those kinds of things? Yeah, and the other thing I kind of recommend for people to do is take a picture at the car. Like, take a picture of the route. Good day. Um, so they kind of know where they're at. Because I think a lot of times I find that people start hiking. And then remember, these things rise straight up out of the valley. And so you don't really have that visual uh, connection anymore where you're at to interpret, you know, whether I go right or left. So I always tell people to take a quick picture. Um, I think it helps navigate uh, getting to these routes. The other thing to take into consideration is, is the river frozen or not? So typically when people go all the way into the road, uh, there's a couple of climbs that are, you know, kind of the ones to do, which is high on Boulder, Moonrise. If the river's not frozen, be prepared to get some cold feet. Um, how, how, I wait, typically, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to explain that a little bit more. How, what do you mean get some cold feet? Do you need to, and what do people do? What, how should they come prepared or, or for that? Because you're yeah. right, high on Boulder, especially is one of the, one of the best ice climbs. Yeah. There is. I mean, it's fantastic. So right next um, to Mean Green, which right next to Mean Green, which is, which is another another yep. super classic. Like these are fantastic routes. So yeah, no, there's a river. What do you do? What, what's the deal? Uh, I typically will either bring a pair of sandals, or I bring a pair of shoes that I just don't care they get wet because I'm not going to be wearing them on the way home. And uh, I'd say the river t- typically doesn't freeze until January, although those routes will come in mid-November, sometimes early November. So get on the side of the bank, take your boots off, strap them on your backpack, roll up your your pants, and prepare to go at least knee-high, depending on where you cross. Uh, bring poles. Uh, I always tell people to bring poles. Even I, I wish I was a pole user 10 years ago because my knees would probably be a whole lot better. My body would have appreciated it, but poles are pretty much a must in the South Fork. Uh, poles will help also cross because it, it's a real river it's not a creek it's 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 a river um and once you get to the other side i usually ditch my shoes there and uh you know deal with the screaming uh, barfies of the feet and then uh, put those boots back on and keep going and aaron would you agree if you know the river's unfrozen like you've heard from someone or someone else had done the route it's almost worth just leaving the car in your tennis shoes because it's not that far of a yeah. walk to the river, and then you don't have to deal with the on and off, yeah. you just sprint across, and then boots on. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, you can definitely do that. Yeah, especially if you know you've got a extra pair of socks or whatever, then it doesn't matter leaving the truck. Um, but definitely, I wouldn't wear my socks with the sneakers. I plan on getting wet and then taking socks off because sometimes that trail can be a bit muddy and nasty. So you know, if you don't want to have cold feet all day long. Bring that extra pair of socks, but. Uh, yeah, you could definitely leave because it's about it's a half mile to the river crossing. I have to point uh, out, Steve, in in Aaron's infinite genius, a few years back, he used his drone to scout the river to find <laughs> if there was a spot where it was frozen, so that we could cross without having to get our feet wet. <laughs> and I was, it suddenly made me want to own a drone. Yeah, so, that's amazing. I was like, okay, all right, I'll give you some credit. This is actually a really good idea. Yeah. So yeah. I have to I have to give Aaron some credit there. Yeah. And we, we have last year we were able to get a mass move a massive log so that we were able to cross early on. And so I'm thinking about trying to do like an annual like 
see if we can move some match, you know, major log across so nobody has to get wet. But the the ice last year, we built it, and then the the ice built up, and there was an ice dam break, and that thing was gone. So you never know. Never plan on the log being there. Right. So, so after, you know, after the oh, approach, you you're you get to your route wherever you're going. Um, do climbers need to plan on taking all their stuff with them? Uh, do you tend to come down these routes? What's the, what's the logistics on most of these for a descent? Um, yeah. And I'll start with kind of the, the typical rack too. So, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Typical rack, uh, you know, whatever amount of screws you're usually comfortable with. Um, I, you know, I usually carry only eight to 10. Um, that forces you not to, you know, place too many or my partners to place too many. <laughs> but most people should probably bring it, you know, anywhere between 10 and 15 screws and always, always a screw for your V-thread. So a big, nice, long screw for doing V-threads. Uh, and then always double rope, minimum 60-meter double rope, 70s if you got them. Uh, single rope really isn't going to do you any, any good when it comes to descending in the South Fork because the roots are just big. Uh Typically, you know, wrap anchors are, are not easy to find, even in the ice. So having that extra, you know, six, 10 meters, if you've got a 70 meter, is pretty nice, and it's come in very handy a number of times. There's not, like, a ton of trees just sitting all over the place or a ton of bolted anchors. So plan on, you know, descending just like you were in the Alpine somewhere. You know, that, that's really important. Rock rack, I really don't take much of a rock rack of any sort. I would say ditch it unless you plan on doing something mixed that you know is trad, but most of the mixed routes in the valley are are bolted. There's just a few trad ones. It's kitty litter rock, um, so it doesn't really lend itself to any you know fabulous crack climbing where you can place cams. Um, and then, as you said, you get to the base, kind of get racked up. I... Typically, take most of my take all, all of everything with me. Um, you just never know what you're going to get into above, uh, or which way you're going to come down. Most of the routes are descended the same way you come up, so you can leave, you know, ditch, you know, one pack with some stuff you don't need, and then you know, the second takes up the uh, takes up the pack with the weight in it. So, um, but definitely, you know, make sure that you've got enough warm stuff to go up. I think that's what I see a common mistake. They don't take enough fuel, you know, food and water as they go up, you know, now you're 2000 feet up, you're feeling dehydrated, you know, you're hungry yet. You didn't really take that much food. Um, I think those are some of the things I see as well as, Oh, I left my down jacket. I figured we're just doing two pitches. Uh, the weather changes pretty quickly in the South Fork as well. So uh, it, become, it can be a calm day to a 50 mile an hour wind in a matter of minutes. Yeah, I would say let's talk about the wind for a second. The wind is a, is a factor there more than other places I've climbed. Tell, talk, talk about that. Yeah, the, the, it's uh, again, it's kind of this, the valley sits at the base of these really, you know, massive mountains that rise right out of the valley, four, five, six thousand feet straight up. So, and it's kind of at the end, at the edge of the mountain range. So it, when the storms start to come in, the wind just nukes. Uh, and yes, 40, 50 mile an hour wind is, can be pretty common on a, you know, as a storm starting to come in, uh, you gotta be prepared for that. You know, and you gotta be prepared for that when you're 3000 foot up a route and still climbing and now you've got a whiteout or whatever it might be. But I think the weather is definitely a thing that 
you know, people don't prepare for very well there. Uh, I've started the car and it was 40 degrees in the morning when I left. And when I got back, it was, you know, negative five. So I think being prepared for that. The other thing to think about with wind, look at the weather. If it's going to be a big windy day, you know, you want to carefully choose what route you're going to be on because some of the routes, most of these routes are like basically massive funnels. You know, so everything that drops off from the top pretty much goes to the bottom. Now, thankfully, a lot of these routes have some good ledge systems with snow on them. So it captures some of that. But, uh, you know, high up base, of high on boulder is a pretty bad spot when it's windy. So you want to be careful where you're at there. Uh, mean green, base of mean green is another bad place to be. Main vein is probably one of the worst because you're, there's nowhere to run for that thing for four or five pitches. You're pretty much everything that comes down, it's going to come at you. Uh, you're going to be pretty much be in the shooting gallery, but uh, wind is definitely a thing there, especially the wind when there's not much snow on the ground, then there's a whole lot more rock fall. But when there's some good snow on the ground, it kind of holds in all that kitty litter. Uh, so that's something to take into consideration. Yeah. I think wind generated rock fall is not something general, people generally think about, but I, I've experienced it in a few places and that's one of them for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Good, good stuff. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I think prompted this, I mean, we'll come back to this theme again and again probably today, but it is a lot like alpine climbing. Like this is, a, I think that people need to realize that it's a lot different to climb in the South Fork of, in, in Cody than it is, for example, around Uray, Colorado, or or even, even Highlight uh, Canyon up in Bozeman. The roots are just much, much bigger. There's re- very, there's real objective hazard. Um, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a real serious environment. Um, just much, much bigger terrain. You're out all day doing lots of vertical up and down, um, having to build your own anchors. Like you said, like I don't, I haven't climbed there in a while, but I don't remember ever seeing a bolted rappel anchor ever. <laughs> when I've climbed in Cody, I mean, granted most of the climbing I did in Cody was in the nineties and I've only been back a handful of times since, but I mean, it was all, it was all V threads and trees back then. And, and, and sometimes, you know, like very Alpine esque, like, you know, really, really scratch and define stuff uh, and to make it work. So. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've, I've put some bolted anchors in on some of the, you know, classic trade routes, but even even those bolted anchors, um, you know, they're not on every every pitch because uh, sometimes the rock is just so bad that just doesn't matter. Um, I've also put bolted anchors in and then come back the next winter and they're pretty much gone or they've been completely sheared off from from water. Uh, so that's a, a real scenario. But you're right, V threads are pretty much get comfortable doing V threads. Uh, practice them. I, I, when I teach clinics at festivals, I'm like, practice your V thread because you don't want your first V thread ever being in the middle of the night when you're trying to descend seven, eight pitches, you know, feel comfortable doing it. Um, the other thing I would also ask people is don't leave cord, you know, do naked V threads. There's no reason to leave cord. Uh, every year I go to the base of the big classic roots and I do, I, I pick up a ton of cord. I think people are just like, ah, oh, it just disappears into the earth. Well, it definitely doesn't. Uh, it's laying all over the rocks, um, and becomes a real, real, it's, it's a real issue. I mean, broken hearts is one that, I mean, I'll pick up a half a trash bag full of cord. Yeah. That's something that I've been, uh, Vince Anderson and I have been kind of, uh, 
trying to get on people about down here in Southwest Colorado too, is to get people to use more naked V threads. And, and honestly, like a lot of the, you know, you know, the trade routes get, get, I mean, and people, and then people back up the backups and, <laughs> you know, you go up to places around here every summer and I'm, I'm all doing the same thing, picking up a couple of garbage bags worth of, worth of thread material every, every summer. It's, um, it's an issue. And I think I want to plug, I've got a really, what I think is a, a pretty good uh, video on the Uphill Athlete YouTube channel about building V thread. So if you're unfamiliar with that, go into the YouTube uh, channel for Uphill Athlete or, or search for, um, search for it on the video uh, page of the Uphill Athlete website and you'll, you'll find it. It's got a bunch of views um, and it uh, walks you through how to make a, a naked V thread. So uh, yeah, that's something as ice climbers, we all need to get a little more as a community. We need to get more comfortable with, I, I, I never leave, I never put cord in like, I just don't yeah. see the, don't see the reason uh, yep. for, for leaving it, frankly. So yeah, and I've, I've used it in pretty wet ice. Uh, in fact, I, I uh, made an example of a video of it. I think last winter, just super wet ice, cold day, no problem pulling the rope you know it's all as long as you're you're moving in between wraps and you move it as soon as you go to the bottom like it's not going to get frozen i you know i've never had one freeze on me so that's a that's an advanced more advanced technique but yeah yeah, yeah exactly i <laughs> <laughs> gotta give you a shout out aaron because you 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 mentioned it so casually and uh that you you've been adding bolts to a lot of the trade routes you know you're doing this out of your pocket you know, you've been bolting a lot of stuff in Cody to really just make it easier for people. Um, and so anyone that goes to Aaron's website uh, to check conditions, coldfear.com, he sells some shirts on there. All the money that goes from the shirts goes to maintaining anchors. And so buy a shirt, you'll, you'll be the coolest person in the rock gym, but you'll also <laughs> have a good anchor uh, when you're in the South Fork. So, yep. Yep. All, yeah. all, all the money goes to, to bolts and anchors. Yep. And I, we do, I think, uh, I mean, we placed about 80 bolts last year, if I remember correctly. Now, a lot of that's also new routes and things like that. So. Right on. Yeah. And I think, uh, I like to say that every crag has a mayor, um, and, and Aaron, you're definitely the, the mayor of the South Fork and, and keeping, keeping the spirit alive there and, and, and being the point person that everyone is coming to for information and beta and conditions and, and, you know, uh, all that stuff. So, so thanks for being that person. Every, every place needs somebody like that. That's doing that uh, work and kind of keeping up with that stuff. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, information uh, and, and guidebooks and uh, mountain project <laughs> and so forth. Like uh, where, where do you send people to get uh, information on, on the routes? Um, you know, pretty much send them to winter, to grab winter dance. Yeah. Um, but I also, the guidebook, yep. Uh, which is obvious, you know, at this point is definitely outdated. Um, there's double the amount of routes, um, than there was when that was published. Um, right now it, it's really, uh, it's really winter dance. So, but people that want to reach out to me, I spend quite a bit of time every week responding with people. Uh, about route beta, what's in, what's not, you know, things to think about. Um, I definitely love helping people out. Uh, I think there's also kind of a uh, a rumor that, you know, I don't like to share where new routes are that I put up. That's absolutely not the case. Uh, if anybody reaches out to me, I'm always happy to share where that stuff's at and give them all the beta. Um, I just haven't had the time to, you know, write it all down, which is where the guidebook comes in. 
Um, but I'm always happy to share intel and information with people uh, where to go, what not, you know, what to stay away from. You know, I've had people reach out, you know, hey, it's my first time in Cody. I want to climb, you know, Water Ice 4. You know, what's what should be my top five things to take a look at? And then I'll shoot them that back. So I have, I respond uh, every day to people looking for that stuff uh, in the wintertime and, and non-winter. Great. And Aaron's social handles are at Cold Fear, um, C-O-L-D-F-E-A-R on I know you do Instagram. Do you do Facebook and Twitter yeah, as well? Yeah, it's, it's coldfear.com on Facebook. Okay. Uh, and coldfear, or no, it's Aaron Mulkey on Twitter. Uh, not as active on Twitter. I mean, I think I just posted all through Instagram. But, uh, yeah. you know, all those are places where people communicate with me. I'd say Facebook and Instagram are definitely the big ones. Okay. Great. And then, you know, as far as, you know, you mentioned that the guidebook, which is, uh, this would be the, probably the first news outlet that i've even talked about the, the guidebook uh i had planned on on having it out this fall um but i am not quite ready uh i think one thing that has come to me as i've started to really go through it is jojo really set the bar high with the winter dance and i really yeah. want to have a really nice guidebook like that for the south fork um and I have not been able to commit the time that I would like to, but I also bigger than that is there's three really big, big areas. Uh, two of those three are really big new areas that I just don't have the photos um, and all the information I'd like to, to put together in that guidebook. So I am putting it on hold, also trying to gather the photos uh, for some more things, some classics. This winter, I am going to fully commit uh, that it will be out uh, next summer. Uh, I, I, I will have no problem with that. Um, but it's just not, you know, it's just like, when it just doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. And this one just didn't feel right without these two big areas. One of them being basically a mini South Fork Valley. Uh, that's really cool. It's, it's remote. Uh, you got to really almost, it's really tough to do in a day, but you can do it in a day. But it's, there's, you know, 20, I have 23, 30 route, over 30 routes in there that are really great. So uh, I'm excited to share that with some people as, as well as some other places. Yeah, and thank you for taking your time because this will be around for a long time and it's going to be the, the resource for most likely decades to come for, for, for climbers. So how about yeah. giving us sort of a typical, um, you know, a lot of the people that uh, – that come through the uphill athlete community, um, whether they're kind of doing their own fitness program or they're, they're coaching, getting coached or somewhere in between a lot of them, you know, they're going to come in for three days, maybe maximum a week. Um, and let's say, you know, they're like leading four five minus. What are, what are some of the, what, what's on the hit list? All uh, right. Tell us about, tell us about like a, you know, three well, days in Cody, what, you yeah. know, what do you tell – I mean, you answer this question all the time, so I know you know the answer. So <laughs> what, you, what kind of uh, things do you recommend people uh, look yeah, at? Yeah, the first thing I will – I, I kind of put as the uh, um, caution is the grades. Right. Yeah. The disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, the little <laughs> disclaimer at the bottom is grades. If you are a very confident water ice four climber and you come to Cody, you're probably going to feel much more of like – a confident water ice three climber in Cody. I don't know, I think that's pretty fair, John, would you say, Steve? 100%. <laughs> well, I think people who have climbed in Colorado 
ice or mix need to realize that the Colorado grades are really soft. I mean, yes. the Colorado grades are at least a full number below yeah. everywhere else, basically. And because there's so many climbers in Colorado, they kind of tend to not realize that. I live in Colorado, but I'm not, not native to here. I've climbed a lot of other places. But a water ice five in the San Juans is nothing like a water ice five in the South Fork nor is it the same as a water ice five in the Canadian Rockies. It's just, it's just yeah. it's not the same. Bridalville no. Falls is supposedly a water ice six. And that would be a, <laughs> that would be a easy water ice five, uh, in, in, uh, up in, up in the South Fork, I would say. And a dovetail yeah. on that, the, the amount of climbers and traffic Cody sees is exponentially smaller than Less. Yes. Colorado. And so if you're used to picked out routes, which, happens in Canada a little more these days. Um, True. Like, you know, it's, it's another reason why I love Cody is that you're not drafting on pick holes in the Alpine, you know, you're, you're not going to be drafting on pick holes in Cody or it's very unlikely. I should um, say yeah. drafting on pick holes, John means like when a route's been climbed a lot, it kind of gets, sometimes we call it uh, picked out or hacked out. And so you don't have to swing as much because there's already sort of holes in the ice where you could kind of hook your tools even in the more extreme cases. I mean, the worst is, uh, for example, the, uh, the uh, best example I should say is that of that is sort of the URA ice park where, you know, there's hundreds of climbers in there every day and these routes all get climbed sometimes 20, 30 times a day. And so after, after, the, after ice fest in January, the rest of the winter, you don't really have to swing. We kind of joke about it. You just, you just have yeah. to hook. Um, but that does not happen in the South Fork. And I, I agree, like, the, the, a lot of these things this is point back to why we're having this conversation is that this is it's such a nice uh, place to go for a real big ice climbing experience. It's akin to alpine climbing, much more so than probably anywhere else I can think of, uh, certainly in the lower 48, but possibly in, possibly in North America. I mean, it's just, there's a lot more, yeah. frankly, a lot more climbers in Canmore and Banff now than there are in Cody. Yeah, I think it's absolutely come feeling like you're going to go to the Alpine. Prepare like you're going on an, on an Alpine climb in the middle of nowhere. Even though there's a road right below there, it will feel pretty wild uh, once you're up there. And, and you know what? I mean, early and late season, they could also be, you know, there's grizzly bears and wolves. I've, I've come face-to-face with a pack of wolves years ago in a remote place, and it was pretty sketchy and scary at the time. But... So yeah, it's it's a wild place, both in it and the you know the terrain as well as the uh, the animals that are there. So I think you're not gonna, rarely are you going to see other people, even on the big trade routes, unless you're here on you know like Christmas week that's there or Thanksgiving week. Even then, it's you know not a ton of people, but, but definitely be prepared to you know to be by yourself or and to be out there. And you're not going to see picked out ice. You're not going to draft pick holes you're going to feel like you're the first one climbing this chunk of ice for the first time this year. That's pretty much what it's going to feel like. What I tell people is if you can climb fours in Cody, you can climb them anywhere. If you can climb fives in Cody, you can climb them anywhere. And just keeping that in mind, I think definitely that first day for someone who's new to Cody that I think you're going to talk about, like be conservative um, from the first pitch. Uh, The, I can think of a few memorable times where I was 
oh, we're just going to solo this easy three pitch. No problem. We'll just, you know, we'll blast up to the next hard pitch and being halfway up the three and being like, what was I thinking? Like, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the caveat to that is there's no trails, yeah. right? So you're not blazing in on some trail. Like there's very few trails that actually go, not, they don't even go to ice climbs, but they'll take you maybe beneath them a thousand feet or something. But yeah, you're pretty much trudging through the hills on no trail, which takes a lot out of most people uh, when they're, you know, when they're just not there, you know, aerobically. Well, we'll get to that, but let's go back yeah. to, uh, you started to talk about the caveat with the grades and that kind of uh, sidetracked us from the conversation about the, the uh, you know, the tick list for, for first time Southport climbers. Yeah, I think if you're coming first time here, I think, and you're in that, you know, grade four range, mean green, I think is, is a great route. It's uh, what you climb up, depending on how you do the pitches, anywhere between six, seven pitches uh, altogether. Um, I, I would say that it, in my book, it's, it's a three plus easy four for Cody, probably easy four. I might be a little tough on it. Uh, and, and I will note that in winter dance, it shows it as a water ice five, but the fourth pitch, which used to be a pillar, got filled in by a ton of debris uh, from a mudslide. And so it really is no longer the pillar that it used to be. So, Steve, when you were there, it was pretty, probably this fantastic pillar. Yeah, it's no it. longer that. Okay. Yeah, it's no longer that anymore. So it is pretty much a, 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 you know, an easy grade four at this point. But it's got that very standard south work. So, you know, you're starting at 6,800 feet and you're climbing all the way to, you know, 9,000 uh, near 10,000 feet if you're doing all top, all the top pitches. Um, and then there you've got, you know, hiking in between that, which if you're lucky, there may be somebody post hold, you know, through and, and, and you got a bit of a path to go through. Otherwise, you're earning your keep uh, hiking in between those pitches to get up there. But that's pretty much for most people that's going to be a pretty full value day for them to do all pitches. And most people, you know, probably only do the first four or first three. And yeah. people I've budget. done it both ways. I can remember uh, doing it both the short and the, and the very full version. And I want to point out that we're talking about 50 meter pitches at least, right? Like these are, these are typically yeah. not, um, you know, I sort of jokingly call this with my friends Italian pitches because a lot of the roots like in the Dolomites, you know, the part, mostly because they were put up like a hundred years ago and they had really short ropes. But a lot, you know, a lot of the pitches there, like on the topo, are fifteen meters, twenty meters. Um, the, this, these are these are real pitches. These are rope lengths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the middle pitches aren't quite rope lengths, but yeah, that first pitch is eighty-five meters. Yeah. Um, you know, as you do as one, you know, you do it as two pitches. So depending on where you stop, is got a hanging blade or find a ledge somewhere. I, w- I would say, if anything, Cody has a lot of those little boulder ice steps, things to weave in through that they don't count, that you yeah, just have to true. plan on in between the real pitches. Um, yeah, a lot lots of, of water ice, too. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't didn't count. Yeah. So, what would you, Aaron, what would you tell, say, the average person to budget to get over to Mean Green from the car? Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I think it probably takes most people two hours hour and a half so two hours to the base and then big eight pitch route big eight pitch route yeah so if you're doing that in december you know not a whole lot of hours in the day in january you know you 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 could start perhaps you know before the light even comes up Uh, but 
moving fast is going to be key to get that thing done. I, I always tell people just, just in those time, you know, just plan to get comfortable coming down at nighttime. Uh, because if you're planning to have those big days, you just got to be prepared to come down at night. Yeah. Headlights, so I think that depends for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, mean green is probably, if you're in that water ice four range, that's typically the place I tell people to go to. Um, and then, you know, high on Boulder as well would be another one. You know, those are kind of side by side slightly, uh, same trail to kind of get you over there, but high yeah. on Boulder would be the other one that would be on my list to tell people to, you know, knock that one off. You, would you agree high on Boulder's, you know, only what, two pitches, right? Two-ish. Yeah, depending on how you do it. So yeah, you've got a, a middle pitch there, which most people will do, but then the very top pitch is called pillar of pain, and that is a grade five. So if you do, if you're staying in that, you know, four range, you would you would do three pitches of high on Boulder. And so that could be a good if they're efficient and fast. That could be a good half day route or yep. something they do before they have to drive back to the airport in the evening, or uh, or just a good first day to check in, like. What does a four feel like in Cody? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one I would say is broken hearts uh, up to the fifth pitch amphitheater, because then that becomes grade five at that point. But you can do all four pitches with a ton of, you know, easy ice steps in between all that stuff. Um, And then you can even do the walk off or do the wrap down that route. But that's another, I mean, broken hearts is one of like the 50 classics. Um, But at, you know, at, at pitch five, it becomes grade five. Yeah, that that pillar of pain, I have a very distinct memory of leading that back, you know, probably one of my first real grade five pitches that I ever led and I was a left an impression, let's say. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I can I can transport myself back to that in my memory anytime I wish. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's got its, you know, big brother at carotid artery right next to it, which right. is you know, the next step up from, from broken hearts from that fifth pitch, depending on whether it's formed or whether it's mixed, you know, that one can add full value. Yeah. Great, great uh, resource uh, to, for ice climbers up there in, in the South Fork. I really uh, can't recommend it enough, you know, to people. Um, I think that uh, I want to kind of bring it back around a little bit to sort of training and preparation. And I know that the three of us have talked about this, you know, uh, amongst ourselves and, you know, John and his, and his coaching work and, you know, me and all my work with uphill athlete have, have, have talked to lots of people about this over the years. But I think that one of the things as we, as we keep saying is it is like Alpine climbing. So not only is it a great, uh, training ground per se, like a lot of people, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, I recommend that, that people, there are people that just need to go climbing and there are people that need to actually improve their fitness and knowing which one of those, where you are at. And typically the people who need to go climbing, the people who hasn't climbed that much, they're often young. So they have the advantage of kind of, you know, youth and the kind of natural, you know, energy levels that go with that. And for, you know, like when I was first in Cody, I was like, I don't know, whatever, 24 years old or something like that. And I wasn't training for climbing. I was climbing as much as I could, but uh, what a great place to get uh, get some experience and log some miles on, you know, um, time in the saddle, as they say. 
Uh, and then for other people that need to work on their fitness, it's, it's really like a kind of a, a great place to kind of set as a goal. And, you know, we're here sit talking at this moment in the beginning of the autumn and, you know, in a, in ice starts to come in in the beginning of November, even October. Uh, and you can, uh, you can, you know, be thinking about a trip in December of, that's mostly when I've climbed there. Actually, it was mostly between Thanksgiving and Christmas is I think, I don't think I've ever been there at any other time actually. Um, and, uh, but it's always just been a, a great time where there's good, reliable ice. Um, and, uh, then, then if you're, if you're looking at that more as like, um, more as either a goal in and of itself, um, and a good way to kind of launch yourself into a solid season of ice climbing, get your head on straight, and in that case, you're talk, thinking about starting training more or less now and kind of trying to peak uh, for, you know, do an eight-week plan or something like that and just kind of have a little peak for that. One of the things I think is funny with uh, – not funny, but ironic, let's say, with ice climbing is the hardest conditions are actually in the beginning of the season. <laughs> and typically, as the season progresses, the climbs become easier. The ice often gets – uh, a little softer, maybe gets climbed a little more. There's just more of it. In in Cody, that's not necessarily the case where a lot of the ice actually sublimates or that kind of the, the process of essentially evaporation where the ice goes from solid right into a gaseous water vapor form. So it kind of gets thinner and detached from the rock as the, as the season goes on, I would say. And Aaron's nodding here so to in agreement, but, but that's uh that's uh, all, all points us back towards kind of thinking about where this goes in terms of, of preparation. I know, Aaron, you've got like a little uh, training dungeon or something in your garage or shop or, or something. I know I've seen photos. Uh, we share a mutual sponsor with Gravel, and I know you've shared some stuff through, through the Gravel websites and, and social media about your, your training pain cave and, and so forth. And I think that that's a, that's a big part of uh, preparing for these both. The climbing part, but also, as you pointed out, what catches a lot of people off guard is they can climb well, but they don't have the aerobic fitness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the aerobic is such a big thing. Um, I, you know, when I started climbing in Cody, I, I, you know, was young and, you know, energetic and uh, I fought my way up stuff. Uh, but I started definitely found that as I wanted to climb harder, my, it was, getting up there that was exhausting me. It wasn't necessarily the climbing, it was the getting up there. And so I'd, you know, get thought to that fifth pitch and just be like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I got it in me. I'm just exhausted. You know, we've hiked up through knee deep snow or whatever it is, you know, and at 3000 feet. And now I got to climb the hardest pitch and I would just be tired. And so I started to figure out that I had to really focus on that, that cardio aerobic piece. And so I spent most of my summers trail running, running, uh, quite a bit in order to get that aerobic piece. And that's really my preparation for winter to come is to get the aerobic piece up. And then, like you said, I, I have a cave at a, a friend owns kind of a uh, CrossFit type uh, gym in town. And I said, Hey, what are you doing with this corner over here? And she's like, well, nothing. I was like, how about I build a cave? You go all right with that? She's like, yeah, do whatever you want. So I have, I, it's, I'm lucky to have a really nice training cave that I'm able to get all my tools um, and get in there. And I think that's the other thing to me that's really important is just like, I tell people like before season, just hang on your tools, just even the simplest of movements on your tools will help prep you for that day that you go out and 
hey, you know, I, I'm used to this feeling of hanging on these tools and just moving. Uh, that is really important. But the South Fork kicks people's butts from a cardio perspective. They just do not have the physical fitness there. They're strong. You know, if they hop out at Ure and want to go climb M11, they're fine. But when you have to go and climb six pitches and you've hiked, been hiking for five, six hours of the day, now you got to climb M11, M10, whatever it might be. It's a different, it's a different game. Absolutely. Um, and as I started mixed climbing, wanting to become more proficient at that, I learned that my cardio just wasn't where it needed to be. I just, I just didn't have it in me. Um, you know, a great example is a new route we bolted uh, way back in Deer Creek, which is it's five miles in. Uh, by the time you get to the base of the route, you've hiked in five miles and about 2,000 feet. And then you have to climb, you know, three pitches of ice just to get to where this, you know, M10 is. And you're like, you get there, you're like, yeah, you feel like you've been climbing all day, but now it's time for you to fire this thing up. And, you know, if you don't have that physical fitness built in, you're, you're done for. Um, and I've climbed with some really strong uh, friends of mine that, you know, are in Colorado or wherever it might be. And they're used to, you know, hopping out of the car, running to Vail up the mountain, you know, 20 minutes and then climbing M10 or whatever it is. And it's like, they get, they get here and they get to the pitches and they're just like, man, I'm, I'm just tired. I don't, I don't, I don't have it in me. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I'm thinking, well, I know exactly what's going on. You know, you, you haven't been hiking. You haven't been hiking uphill, you know, really for, you know, long periods of time. You haven't been, you know, your cardio is just not there. Like I, I get it. Um, and one of my good friends, who's one of the stronger mixed climbers around, I, we talk about training. He's, all of his is just tools, 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 tools. And I'm like, you know, I go to the gym. I can't, I can't just do tools. Like I'll be dead. I'll be dead in the water you know, three hours in, just if I don't have the legs condition and everything else. Uh, so hundred percent agree, you know, it is a true Alpine environment up there and you got to train for it that way. And if you don't, it will, it'll eat you alive. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we talked about in our first book training for the new Alpinism is, you know, it's exactly the problem with Alpine climbing, right. Is it's why it's so similar is, you know, the cruxes come when the cruxes come and you got to be fresh and ready physically and mentally for that moment. And that's, that's, that's why that's part of the magic of climbing Cody, I think is just being able to, to train that in a way, uh, psychologically as well, that you can, you can allow yourself to uh, figure out how to arrive at these cruxes mentally capable of saying, okay, time to, time to throw down like okay that now i've been waiting for this this is the moment and you know psyching yourself up and getting ready to 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 pull hard and to do do the hard climbing um that comes at the end of the day because that's you know that, that is kind of the, what alpinism boils down to many times is it just boils down to you know a moment i think every every alpine climb i've ever done i can think of that a moment of doubt, so to speak, as David Roberts put it in his, in his classic book, where it's like, okay, this is, this is the pitch. Like this is the moment where we either go up or we go down. And if we go get through this, we're going to continue to go up. And if we don't, we're going to go down. And every, every climb uh, has that moment. And the climbs in Cody are, are right in that genre. And I really like that about it. Yeah. And I think the piece of that is just even from a safety aspect, right? Like, you're a long ways in, like nobody's coming to save you. You're, you know, you're 24 hours away from some search and rescue to come and yeah. get you. So 
when you do get to that pitch, you better be confident. You better feel like you're going to, you know, this thing is going down, not like, well, I'm going to go up and just see how this thing goes. That's, you know, never goes well. Um, and I think that's where people start to get themselves in trouble is uh, they get way back in there and then they throw themselves at stuff that, you know, they're just not physically ready for or physically fit enough for. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, then it's just kind of took it to the next level of like, well, how fast can you start doing some of these routes? You know, like broken hearts is one we talked about that is, uh, you know, kind of, it's the 50 classics. And so we used to always do kind of like, I only had a couple, you know, when I only had a morning to go climb, I'd run up the first four pitches and then do the walk off. And uh, I remember talking to, to John one time and I was like, yeah, man, I got it, got it down to like two hours and five minutes, you know, and then, I started really focusing on that um, fitness level and running a lot more in the summer and, and really leading up to ice season. And, you know, last year I had it down to an hour and nine minutes, which I thought would never be possible. And now, now I'm like, well, crap, it could probably go under an hour. And that's, you know, that's basically running to the, to the base of the ice route, soloing up and then running off and, you know, gaining, you know, I think it's like 2,500 feet elevation gain. Um, but learning how that stuff, you know, learning how, for me, learn, pushing myself in those conditions has also made me realize how much more fit I've become and that how that training prior to the season has really helped set me up throughout that year to be physically where I need to be. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's great. You know, we always encourage people to have some sort of benchmarks in their, hopefully in their backyard. I mean, not everybody lives where you do. They, they can you know, do a, a four pitch or has the skills that they can go solo four pitch ice climb and see how fast they can do it. But, uh, you know, just having like a, a, a hill in the backyard or, or a trailhead nearby where you can, you can kind of benchmark your fitness from year to year is, is uh, or from even within a year, within a season and see improvements is, is really, really a, a great, tip like that's sort of a sort of a secret of the pros thing right there that you just you just talked about where uh, we all have those little benchmarks and that's how that's how you keep track of progress you know, it's not so much about the fkt or the bragging right or whatever it's more about like where am i am i in my you know worst to best <laughs> every not my only trip every year but my I try and aim for February to slightly early March and I will go out there even though it's starting to warm up and you can get away with the lighter boots. I'll go out there in my, my Alaska kit, my double boots, the crampons I'm going to wear there, the gloves I'm going to wear there. And we'll try and do some of these long routes that Aaron was talking about and just kind of check in a little bit, but more, it gives me the mental confidence of, if I do get a window to go to Alaska or I do leave in sometime in March or April, that that volume is already there. So the, the climbing in the big boots, climbing in the thick gloves feels natural, but I also have the mental confidence of, Oh yeah, I did all those routes in Cody. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Like the, that we're, I'm, I'm, I have prepared and executed as I needed to. Yeah. I think that's another great pro trip tip, John. And we talked about this in a, in another uh, discussion we had a few months ago about when we talked about the smash and grab climbing uh, style of getting, you know, buying the last minute plane ticket when the weather window shows up for Alaska or whatever, or the Canadian Rockies and getting up somewhere and um, flying or driving or whatever uh, and getting something in. And, it, and that's, that's that people don't realize 
you know, they see that they see the glamorous first ascents and that kind of stuff, but they don't realize like a lot, all the work and preparation that actually went into that. And that kind of due diligence with your details. And like you just said, like climbing with the boots, climbing with the crampons, like, frankly, like I always climb with the same crampons because I always want to know exactly where my front point is without having to ever think about it. So I never change crampons because I always, and I just always climb with what I climb with in the mountains. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll switch into fruit boots for like a little dry tooling fun or whatever, <laughs> but that's, that's not, that's something, that's something different uh, to me. Yeah. Um, uh, when I'm, when I'm out doing ice climbing, I'm basically running the same setup I run all the time. So I had, yeah. I had double boots on for uh, pillars of the community had come in and which <laughs> Mr. Alex Lowe had said it was a four and <laughs> uh to staying okay, true to cool. the cody grades yeah and i definitely definitely was wish, wishing i had my lighter boots on uh throughout that but you know it just so turned out that year that it had come in not even a couple weeks later there was a good window for alaska and the confidence of struggling up keep pillars of the community definitely gave me the mental confidence to climb the harder pitches in the, on the Alaska route we ended up doing. So um, yeah. I, at the time I was regretting it, but I was glad I had done it a few weeks later. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I can actually I say is... I got to climb the pillar pillar. I got to follow Alex on pillars of the community. Oh, yeah, oh back really? in the day. Nice. Yeah. So I should blame you for the water ice four rating. No, no, <laughs> I, that wasn't the first ascent. Okay. He, he had actually climbed it before. Um, because he did do the first ascent of that, right? Yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I think I think we might have done the second ascent of it. Like I did. I, there was a yeah. couple of routes uh, that I did with Alex there, where he had done the second. He had done the first ascent, and then he wanted to do it again, so we went and did the second ascent. And he was still the only <laughs> person that was climbing at that level back then. Uh, yeah, but, uh, that was anyway. a good one too. Yeah. yeah. So, so what were you saying, Aaron? Didn't mean to. Oh, as I say, the other thing I do is when I'm following, I typically wear my, my thick gloves, my, you know, whatever gloves I lay off of, or if it's, I would normally not climb on them. Unless I was, I was in Alaska or something, I'd probably climb in those gloves. Um, but I do tend to climb as a follower with a thicker glove. To me, it's kind of training as well. Um, but it also helps, you know, those times where you do need to have a little bit of a thicker glove, you pretty feel pretty confident in what grade you can climb with. Um, although for the most part, I climb in very thin gloves when I'm leading, but uh, it's always good to know what you can climb with on a thicker glove and get used to, you know, even messing with the screws, and everything else. Uh, so typically I never climb second on the gloves that I ever lead in. So. Yeah, absolutely. I do the same. My bully gloves and my lead gloves. Great tips, guys. Well, I think we ought to, uh, wrap it up here and I just want to make sure everybody knows how to get a hold of of Aaron at, at Cold Fear and uh, through any of his, uh, you know, he has a, a bunch of uh, sponsors he's worked with. We share Gravel and the Owl Ropes and it's also with Rab and, and Hyperlite and Scarpa and you can find him over, the, over there with, with those guys. Um, uh, climb for them. You can usually find him down here at the Uriah Ice Festival. Is often here. It's usually where I see you, it seems like, lately yeah. uh, for some clinics. Uh, hopefully there is an ice festival this winter. We'll see. And, uh, and yeah, so make sure you, uh, check, check that out, support, uh, his website with the 
the t-shirt, support the, the bolting and the, the anchors uh, that Aaron, the work that Aaron is doing down there. And thanks to you, John, for, for helping us set this up and, and bringing, bringing your stories and experience and, and stuff. And we all, this is a place we all, all three have climbed and love uh, dearly. And, uh, and hopefully, I'd just like to see a lot more people enjoy it. It's such a special, special place. I think we can all agree about that. I agree. I agree. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Uphill Athlete Podcast and hope to see everyone out on the ice this winter. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.